Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Today, the format on all things is going to be a little bit different. I was just on a podcast this past week. My friend Chris Martin, who is a pastor here in the Denver area, invited me on his church's podcast to talk about various issues relating to abortion. Following the developments in Texas regarding abortion law, Chris decided to preach a sermon in his church about this issue and other life issues, and then he invited his congregants to submit specific questions to him, and he promised to cover them on a subsequent podcast. So he had me on, and we chatted through all the questions. People asked about things like Plan B, the ethics behind protecting a mother's life in pregnancy, life issues to consider with in vitro fertilization, being a church member who's engaged with politics, all kinds of good stuff. Basically all issues that I know you who listen to all things care about. So I wanted to share this interview with you. Let's go ahead and listen in. Hey, Fathom, uh, Pastor Chris here. I am on a Zoom call with our friend Jen Oshman, who we've had on our podcast in the past, uh, talking specifically uh, last time about the transgender identity issue and uh, specifically how that affected uh, young girls and teens. And so uh, I've asked Jen to come back on the podcast with us today to dialogue about abortion. Uh, we, we did the abortion sermon a couple weeks ago, and, and I'll just say this, if you haven't listened to this yet, to that sermon yet, uh, this podcast kind of builds on that. And so uh, you might want to pause this and go to fathomchurch.org slash trending and listen to that sermon and then kind of come back to this podcast. But um, but in your discipleship groups and in your um, in text messages to the church, you sent us questions about abortion. Now, Jen is a is an author. She's a pastor's wife. I'm going to let her tell a little bit more about her story, but uh, she has her first book, Enough About Me, that's already out and available. Uh, and then she's write, written a second book that's at the publisher now. And so uh, I just thought, man, it'd be really helpful for Jen to step in here. Uh, one of the chapters, I think, in her new book is on uh, the issue of abortion. And so uh, she is a researched uh, participant in this conversation as much as she's also a woman. And I think it's helpful to have both a male voice and a female voice on this, uh, this, these questions. So Jen, would you just thank, first of all, thanks for, for doing this with us, but would you just kind of share a quick, like who you are bio for us so that uh, our listeners know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. This is great. And I love that you are doing these series, these particular trending topics at your church. I think it's so helpful for the vitality of the local church. But um, yeah, my name is Jen Oshman and I live in Parker, Colorado. I am with Redemption Parker and Acts 29 Church. My husband's lead pastor there and we planted almost five years ago or about four and a half years old. Prior to that, we lived overseas for about 15 years as church planters in Asia and in Europe. And since being back over the last five to six years, I've been doing a lot of writing and speaking and um, I am particularly passionate about the issue, various life issues. I mean, everything from immigration to education to um, end of life issues, as well as abortion. All of those life issues are something that really um, mean a lot to me. Um, so relatedly, though, not totally, but somewhat relatedly, my second book is called Cultural Counterfeits, Exposing Five Idols of Our Age and How We Were Made for So Much More. And in that book, I just wanted to help women think about um, various cultural issues that have convinced us they promise something 
and they really don't. They've overpromised and underdelivered. They sort of promise us life and identity and freedom, but instead they've delivered death. And so one of those idols that I try to expose in the book is abortion. And that has allowed me to do just a lot of research over the last few years, um, as well as spending some time serving in local pregnancy resource centers. So that's why I hope to be able to contribute something to this conversation. I just appreciate you having it, Chris. Yeah, no, that's so helpful. And, uh, and I don't know if you listened to the sermon. You don't have to say whether you did or not. But I did quote I did quote your 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 podcast and your research in the sermon because I was like, well, she's already done this, so I'm not going to like try and dig yeah, up other quotes. So absolutely. <laughs> it was hey, helpful. We're all here for helpful. each other. Okay. Well, uh, all right, Fathom Church. As you're listening to this, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the questions and uh, and. And then Jen will have a chance to kind of answer. I want to, there's some that we'll just kind of riff back and forth on, uh, but really these questions are generated by y'all. And uh, we hope that uh, some of this will help kind of gives a little bit more clarity. Some of these things, maybe we don't come to a good answer on, but, um, but we want to, we want to do our due diligence in answering the questions that you sent in. So, so Jen, we'll start with this Uh, specifically, this question uh, is, is, is about, um, today's society, kind of our, our, the, the cultural moment that we are living in. Uh, and, and the question says, today's society seems to have an inflated, almost religious view of liberty. Um, how does this impact our approaches to things like abortion or vaccine or masks or guns or speech, etc.? So, so there's a lot of ways we could go on that. Let's stick with abortion um, and our view of liberty, our cultural moment, even like radical individualism and all of that that it entails, how does that impact our approach to things like abortion? Yeah, I think this is a really insightful question, whoever submitted it, because they actually, you know, they really hit the nail on the head. Our probably highest value in the United States in the United States is autonomy. We want to be our autonomous selves and we want to have the rule and reign over who we are. We want to create ourselves and then we want to live out the identity that we have created. So this um, is coming up in all all various spheres of life, as they mentioned, whether it's abortion or the vaccine or otherwise. Um But the reality for the believer, the follower of Jesus, and scripture is very clear and says this exactly, is that we are not our own, but we belong to Jesus. And he died for us. He paid a very high price for us. And so we must honor him and love others with our bodies. So we don't really have autonomy and authority over our own bodies. These are vessels created by him and for him, through him to him, as Colossians chapter one says. And so we are to be stewarding these bodies for his glory. And that would always and only be in a way that is life-giving and blesses our neighbor. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think that's super, I, I, I think that foundationally helps the conversation. Um, because as, as I was preparing for the abortion sermon, the thing that just kept coming, uh, and, and actually I thought about this in, in, as I was listening to your, uh, podcast on this, um, I, I, I think you, you brilliant, brilliantly laid out the fact that we want more resources for women. We want more support for women. We need more. I think you used the word creative ideas. You said, you said that abortion lacks creativity. I thought that mm-hmm. was really helpful uh, to, to frame it that way. And then you brought up the statistic of, of uh, the, the, the ratio of pregnancy resources for, for women in Texas versus uh, abortion resources for Texas and um, and the, the unbelievably disparaging number f- in favor of 
support for women that already exists in Texas. Now, I'm not saying in any way that we should uh, just say, well, there's enough resources out there, so go get them. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there are a lot of resources out there. And that if, if it were only resources, I think abortion would be licked by now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so as I'm, as I'm doing my own thought on this, this whole radical individualism, this whatever stands in the way of me actualizing the happiness that I deem necessary for my existence, whatever gets in the way of that is evil, is wrong. And so if that's a baby, then that baby must go. If that's um, an identity, then that identity must go. If that's a, somebody speaking hard truths into my life, then those people must be silenced or stopped. And so there is, I think, under undergirding this conversation, a very unhealthy radical individualism that, I don't know, I, I just don't know. I don't, it's not just mere resources that will eradicate the issue of abortion, it would seem. Yeah, yeah, no, and and I think you make some really great points there. And for the believer, this issue is a lot more clear because we have mm-hmm. already confessed that we need our Lord and Savior. We have already confessed that um, we do not belong to ourselves, and we've 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 said we have a master, we have a Lord over our lives, and we have committed to obeying Him. Yeah. But honestly, it is not workable for secular society either to be com- committed to radical individualism. We are a communal people. We live together. And so your your freedom, your independence is going to end where mine begins. So how does that work out when what you want and your independence comes up against what I want and my independence? We have to find a way to work, even in a very secular setting outside of the church. We have to find a way to work where there's compromise and we are looking out for the the higher good and the benefit of all people. Um, One little tangent that I would just love to throw in here that is slightly off topic, but I think really helpful and really foundational, as you say, this um, – this – autonomy thing is being, is very foundational. I I think as, as women and as a society, we need to go back a few decades. We need to go back to the sixties and seventies and ask, why is it that the male body was normed? Now I know that's like a crazy sentence, so I just want to unpack it a little bit, but why was male physiology? Why was male biology chosen decades ago to be the preferred biology? So when two individuals engage in sex and the woman gets pregnant, why was it then that we decided it's better to get rid of the pregnancy than to say it's better to provide opportunities for this woman to carry that baby to term? Whatever it is that she needs, um, we're going to provide that. Why decades ago did we say it's better for her body to function like a male's body than for us to say her body brings forth life? How should we as a people um, protect and celebrate and empower her body to do what it was created to do? So I think there's just some underlying, I don't know, call it what you will, but confusion. Um, It's definitely, you know, women have been made more vulnerable because of that reality. Women have been subjected to birth control, abortion, you know, all of these things that promise to provide liberty But the reality is, and I'm sure we'll get to this later in the conversation, the reality is these things deliver despair and disillusionment and depression in a very statistically provable way. So, um, yeah, I just saw you always want to encourage women to go back and say, why why are you taking a birth control pill? (laughs) Why has society said your body's broken? 
Yeah. Your body's not broken. It's mm-hmm. doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, again, you even have to begin to rewind th- through the sexual revolution, but also, I mean, just sin. I mean, I think there's brokenness yeah. around sexuality that predates all of the conversation from Roe v. Wade and Plan B and all the, you know, all different abortion conversations and a, and a Christian sexual ethic must be even established um, before these conversations can be, I mean, like you said, for a woman to be able to physically do the things that she is supposed to do, there is a way in which physically those things are supposed to be done as well. And it's, again, it's a rejection of God's way is best. It's a rejection of, you know, it's the autonomy all the way back to the garden, all the way back yeah. to Genesis three, mm-hmm. that, that the way God said things should be done. It's just the rebellion of the lie of the enemy and the the flesh of the human saying, no, I'd, I'd yeah. rather do it my way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Um, okay. So, so we could, I mean, we could just dive full into that question, but, but for the sake of time, <laughs> let's, let's, let's move into the next question. And, and the next question was spe- more specific. Actually, the next few questions are kind of more specific to situational, maybe we would say situational ethics within the abortion conversation. So um, th- this question was, what about the plan B pill? Um, specifically, uh, you know, a, a, what's I think known as like a chemical abortion uh, taken before one knows whether she's pregnant or not. Um, mm-hmm. So, so let's dive into that idea. It's, it's like, it's like bridging the gap between birth control and a physical abortion uh, after mm-hmm. a certain point. Plan B might be an ethical conundrum. So what, what do you say at a, at, to, to somebody who says, well, what about plan B? What, can, could, could a Christian take plan B? Is that ethically okay? Yeah. Well, first of all, if I was having this conversation, I would want to be having it with somebody that I knew personally and was having a, had a relationship with, you know, a woman who had trusted me already. So this feels like, you know, this feels like an awkward answer to provide over the airwaves. Um, and even with that caveat, I will say this is a medically difficult question. And so I would encourage a listener who is, um, considering plan B or might consider plan B in the future to speak with her physician, but not only that, to get the perspective of a, a a physician who follows Jesus. So Mm -hmm. what's difficult about plan B, um, is that we don't know exactly why it prevents pregnancy. Does it prevent pregnancy because it prevents fertilization or does it prevent pregnancy because it, um, prevents implantation of a fertilized egg? We don't know. So, um, and to be honest and probably somewhat controversial, that is also true about the birth control pill that we don't always know if the pill is preventing fertilization or if the pill is preventing implantation. Okay. So, but especially with the plan B pill, it's quite gray. It's quite murky. And so I would say to a woman who wants to honor the Lord with her body, um, plan B is at best a very questionable um, way to go. Okay. Um, and at worst, very possibly could cause abortion. So if it were my friend, I would say, no, do not take plan B. Um, and, and plan B is something you're only supposed to take the morning after. Yeah. So um, let's go back to plan A and talk about 
not having sex with that partner that you don't want to have a baby with, um, would be my strong encouragement. So I think a helpful resource page for this would be, um, eternalperspectives.org. That's Randy Alcorn's website. And Randy Alcorn is a Christian pastor and author and, um, has decades of experience in pro-life work and writes with a pastoral heart, writes in a way he's just full of compassion, but also full of wisdom. So you can go there for more resources. Um, but I would have strong reservations about anyone, and especially a Christ follower, using the Plan B pill. Now, that's different from medical abortion, medication abortion. I don't know if you want to talk about that, but I'm happy to talk about um, mm. medica- medicine, you know, abortion by medicine. Um, I, I don't think I necessarily want to get there. Um, and that's only because I don't think that's as controversial. Um, Great. <laughs> yeah. Or at least ethically from a Christian perspective, I think that's that's less, I, I, yeah, I know what you're going towards, but let me ask a follow-up question on this. Cause you just, you mentioned yeah. something that I think is really important. The different differentiation between fertilization and, and implantation. Um, and another ethical question that wasn't brought up that I'll just throw out there and you can just punt on it mm-hmm. if you want to is the issue of, of, um, of fertilized eggs that are, you know, I mean, we, we, you've heard about snowflake babies and this whole idea of like yeah. in vitro, they fertilize a bunch of eggs and they implant some, yeah. and then there's a freezer somewhere full of yeah. essentially fertilized eggs, whether they are pre embryo or they're an embryo, it's again, it's kind of gray, but they haven't been implanted ethically. What do we do with that? I mean, these are, this is where life begins at conception gets murky with modern science. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that all Christians need to be deeply engaging with before they participate in any of these practices, because the medical community is not necessarily going to have a biblical worldview at the forefront of these conversations. You know, the idea is like, well, we've got the technology available, so absolutely let's use all of it. And that is a very reckless way to proceed in this conversation and practice as followers of Jesus. But yeah, once an egg is fertilized, that is a human life. That this is a baby now, once the egg is fertilized. As as Christians, we believe that. We believe scripture speaks to that. And we believe all life is made in the image of God and it's sacred and beautiful and worth protecting and has a right to life. Mm. So um, whether that egg is fertilized in your womb or in, um, wherever, or if it's fertilized in a test tube that we're dealing with a human life. So Christians need to tread very, very carefully down the fertility path. And I think IVF is one of those areas that we as followers of Christ can have differing opinions on. There, there are, you know, um, pastors and ethicists and philosophers who follow Christ wholeheartedly that come down in various places on this issue. I actually do. I don't know the number off the top of my head. I do have a long podcast about IVF and about mm. the babies that are on ice and snowflake babies. So, um, you know, your listeners can go to my website and okay. find that podcast episode. But, um, let me say this, there are literally millions of fertilized eggs on ice in the United States. And that is a tragedy. There are, I think, ways to go about IVF that mitigate some of that risk. You know, I do know Christian couples who have been very slow to fertilize just one or two or three eggs at a time and then carry those babies in their pregnancy and bring forth those lives. Now, of course, it's risky. Like, it it doesn't always work. And so you are signing up for a reality of the loss of life as you try to bring forth life. And so I would just encourage um, followers of Christ to really sit down with their pastors, their, their church, their gospel community. You need the body of Christ for that decision. Um, the only thing I can say with certainty is that fertilized egg is a life. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. So then, um, tread carefully and snowflake adoption is amazing. I also know some people who've done that and carried snowflake babies and are raising them now. And so mm-hmm. that is a redemptive, beautiful part of that story. Um, so anyway, there's the tangent. Hope that yeah, helped. No, I'm, and I didn't, and I brought it on, but, um, okay. That's helpful. Uh, we'll, we'll find that, that podcast also and link that in the, in the show notes. Uh, let's move to another situation. And this is a common one. Uh, that that people will bring up. What about the situation where a mother's life's in danger? Like what sure. what's what what do we do with this when there's a choice? And I would say, and let's just add the caveat: like a legitimate medical mm-hmm. choice. Um, yeah, between the 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 life of the mother and the life of the unborn baby. Not like a yeah. uh, maybe she's going to have some sort of you know crisis about this. Or also, uh, let's just assume there's there the 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 physician is being as as wise and discerning in the process of not pulling the trigger as it were early Mm -hmm. and saying, Hey, Mm -hmm. what do we do with a truly ethical? It's the either or conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really important caveat because today's conversation about this lumps everything in like, Oh, she might be sad after she has the baby. Okay. Well, her life's at risk then. So I really appreciate that caveat. And even if it feels a little bit silly, it's totally necessary to bring it to the conversation. So both the baby in the womb and the mother, they both have a right to life, don't they? Mm -hmm. So I think, again, this is a decision that both mother and father in tandem with their faith family, their pastor and their community, it's a decision that is to be made. It is not unethical to um, have the mother's life protected. It is not unethical for her life to take priority over the life of the unborn child. And so sometimes there are absolutely devastating circumstances where a baby's life is lost so that the mother may live. That is not contrary to scripture or to the character of God or to Christian ethics, but it's very, very difficult. And some Christian couples decide differently. Mm -hmm. Some are more willing. Um, You know, the mother wants to put herself in the position of her life potentially being sacrificed. And, And that's between her and her spouse and her pastor and her faith family and God, you know, that's also an ethical choice. Um, but again, this is, this is a space where, um, different decisions are made, but it is not unethical for the mother's life to take priority and for her life to be saved when it's at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And that's helpful. And I think, um, I think in all of the, we, we can, we can agree that there are, there are some major philosophical, ethical moral conversations, especially in, um, in some of these, uh, scenarios and hypotheticals that are just heavy, that are just weighty. And that I I love that you keep bringing up that require community input that require not just me making a decision for me, what's best for me. It's, it's, we working together to, to understand what God's will would be to seek prayerfully in fasting, what, what, what his, his purpose is in the midst of a scenario. Um, and, and it might come down to, we have to make a choice and that's, and that's okay in certain circumstances though. I will again, and we, I skipped over the rape and incest question. Cause I think I covered that in the sermon, but I will, we'll come back to the conversation of, um, at, at all, at, at all costs, a life should be protected. Um, yes. and no matter how heinous, a situation, no matter how horrific the, the circumstances are, um, the answer, the first answer cannot be kill the baby. The answer cannot be kill the baby. Like yes. it's, it's just, 
I'm, I'll quote you again. It lacks creativity. It lacks uh, compassion. It lacks Mm -hmm. so many things. Um, And I, and I don't want to say that in any way that would diminish the difficulty of some of these moral situations. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. good. I appreciate all that. Yeah, that's helpful. Let's let's move uh, the conversation maybe out of um, kind of hypotheticals and into uh, more ethical conversation. Specifically, this next question I think is is around the ethic of being pro life. Um, now, uh, again, these are this this question brings up other issues, but let's let's engage with this. How should Christians think about other life issues? Uh, when we talk about being pro-life. Uh, so some that were lift, listed was like capital punishment and Old Testament violence. I could think of others like you've already mentioned, end of life, care, assisted suicide is one that sometimes comes up in this. But if we're dedicated to life, I said in my sermon that we aren't, uh, that Christians aren't pro-life as in from from uh, cradle to grave. We're pro-life from conception to grave. So mm-hmm. that includes all of life. That includes a mother's life. Uh, how should Christians think about life and and the issue of life beyond just the issue of abortion, but into, you know, all of life? Yeah. You know, I think that it is as simple as applying the golden rule and loving our neighbors as we would want um, to love ourselves and making sure that our neighbors, whether that be our literal physical neighbor in our neighborhood or across town or across the country or even across continents, People made, all humans are made in the image of God. Every single life is precious. And the breath that they breathe was given by our God in heaven. So each unique life, whether that life experiences disability or poverty or marginalization in any way, every single life is worth protecting and is worth fighting for. And this is what our God says, you know, Jesus came down, put on flesh and died for you and me. He says, in first Peter, he did that, leaving us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. So then the question for the Christ follower is how will I lay myself down for others? Now, in terms of conception and in the womb, you know, we as a Christian community, especially involved in the very traditional pro-life sense, the pro-life movement, we've got to be doing a lot more than simply holding up signs and participating in marches. Not knocking that, that's valuable. We need to enter the public square. But we need to be addressing the issue of unplanned pregnancies um, by addressing the lives of women who are vulnerable Mm -hmm. and getting into communities and seeing where we can be loving those neighbors the way we would want our own children to be loved. What kind of educational access would we want? What kind of um, food security would we want to have in that community? What kind of job opportunities? What kind of health care? What kind of language classes? If English is not the uh, mother's first language, I mean, there is a laundry list of places that the community can get involved in a mother's life to come around her and make sure that having this baby delivering this child into the world is a choice that is not only ethical and beautiful and worth celebrating, but feels doable to Mm -hmm. her in her very marginalized and very vulnerable condition. So I just want to exhort the pro-life community to get creative. You know, we keep using that word and I think it's really helpful. We, we see this pro-life issue as like, well, abortion's bad, period. 
agreed, absolutely abortion's bad, but so what are we going to do about it? Where are we going to go 10 steps back Mm -hmm. to prevent, to make abortion unthinkable, unnecessary, undesirable, because this marginalized community is so well resourced. And I think we need to be having the same question when it comes to things like assisted suicide or um, caring for and resourcing our brothers and sisters who live with disabilities, whether they are minor or extreme, caring for and coming around our brothers and sisters who are immigrants, who are refugees, who are impoverished. Um, There's so many marginalized and vulnerable communities here in the United States and throughout the world. And each one is precious in God's sight. And we are called to love each one. And so um, I know it's exhausting. And even saying that, it feels like, well, geez, I am not omniscient. I'm not omnipotent. I'm just one person. I'm just one body. I live in one community. You know, Jen, this exhortation is all well and good, but you're sort of heaping these burdens on my back that I cannot bear. And that's absolutely right. We are finite human beings with limited capacity. But what I have to remind myself of when I'm looking at bigger global issues. And what I just want to remind the listener of is look around, Mm. just look around right where you are right now, who needs care, whose life needs to be um, protected and celebrated and cherished. Is it the neighbor across the street? Can you get involved in immigration in your community or education or pregnancy resource? Like just look around and, and go to one place and do one thing. Um, God is not asking you to be omnipotent but he is asking you to be faithful in the time and the place that he has put you. Yeah, that's good. And I, and I, and I'll swing to the others, to the other portion of that question and say issues like capital punishment issues like, um, like just war versus pacifism issues like old Testament violence and, and uh, even end of life care and suicide, assisted suicide, those sorts of things. Um, each one of those conversations to our listeners uh, requires biblical uh, worldview, biblical theology to overlay in those conversations. Um, each one of those has its own nuances and has its own, um, really has its own answer. So it's not like we can give a broad sweeping answer, mm. but sometimes I have heard um, an argument for the pro-choice movement is, hey, you pro-lifers, you just love you know the issue of abortion, but you're not pro-life in all of life. And so what about war? What about these things? And I, and it's almost used as a trump card to say, well, because you don't care about life in other circumstances, which I would say is an arguable, arguable statement, but because you don't believe in life in all circumstances, therefore you can't stand for abortion. And that's just Mm -hmm. like a logical fallacy. Mm -hmm. I think Uh, Mm -hmm. just to throw it out there, it's a, it's pretty poor rhetoric and it's pretty poor argumentation. Um, but but at, to, to come full circle, yes, Christians should be pro-life and, and pro-life in all cases. And there are lots of ethical and moral situations that we would need to, to engage with per, you know, per issue as, as opposed to kind of blanket statements. But I think it's fair to say that, that Christians have been pro-life since day one, I mean, this is, I brought yeah. this up in the sermon, but uh, since day one uh, in the Roman empire, we were pro-life. We were rescuing abandoned babies. We were pro-life in terms of being uh, a community that, that valued men and women equally, that valued slave and free equally, that valued Jew and Gentile equally. I mean, these are huge life-changing life-altering ideas um, that the Christian community has always been. I mean, all the way to abolition of slavery, all the way to uh, civil rights. I mean, it, it's been it's been the, the 
the the church. It's been the community of God that's been on the forefront of the life issues. And so, yes, to that question, we should be pro-life in all areas. And now how that works itself out in each individual issue, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in each issue, just like there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the abortion conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love what you said, Chris. And I, I, I know, you know, sometimes they come down harder on the church <laughs> because it's my people and I love my people and That's I love right. the church right. so much. Um, but you make a good point and I just want to validate it and back it up and say, absolutely. All the, the, the abortion centers in this country are in the dozens, whereas the pregnancy resource centers in this country are in the thousands. And you better believe the majority of those pregnancy resource centers are faith-based, but not just pregnancy resource centers. I mean, we're talking about foster families, adoptive families, those who are in education, those who are advocating for immigration reform and caring for the vulnerable people at the borders. I mean, when that argument is used against me or other believers, I just want to say, who do you think is out there on the front lines and who has been out there on the front lines for centuries? It is the church. And I'm so proud of her for showing up. Um, so let's keep showing up. Let's not be tempted to compartmentalize these issues. But let's keep showing up in a sacrificial way um, in all of these areas. Yeah, that's so so helpful. Um, that, it's a great uh, great launching point for this next question we talked about getting involved and not just getting involved in rhetoric or in certainly not in vitriol and in posting and things like that. Um, but what do you think Christians should do when it comes to this issue in politics? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because I said on Sunday uh, at our church that, that I'm not going to endorse a party or a candidate specifically, but I will preach God's word and pray that that carries weight then in each individual Christian's decisions on how they would be politically involved. So, so I, I mean, you, you're, you're uh, a member of a church, you lead many women in ministry, you, you're, you know, a spouse to a church planter. Talk, talk to us a little bit about how Christians, both individually and then churches corporately, might be involved in politics around this issue. Yeah, man, what a question for 2021, right? I mean, yeah. we're the church and politics feels so volatile these days. But I love what you said, and I'm going to piggyback off of it a little bit. That I, um, I think that Christians should absolutely fall short of endorsing a candidate or a political party, and that we should not that we shouldn't vote. I, I, by all means, I vote all the time, um, and I am happy to get behind um, specific, maybe specific people or specific ideas or specific bills. But we cannot be just committing ourselves wholeheartedly to a specific party, to Republicans or Democrats, because there are faithful Bible-following, Jesus-loving Christians on both sides who will look at the Democratic platform and say, this is pro-life, or they'll look at the Republican platform and say, this is pro-life. Now, mm -hmm. if you're entrenched on either side, you look across the aisle and go, that's ridiculous. There's nothing pro-life over there. But trust me, there's Democrats and Republicans saying the same thing back and yeah. forth. And the reality is, um, there's the, in my opinion, both parties bring useful things to the table. And we, as Christians who are... Um, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, informed by the word of God, informed by one another as we each carry the spirit in us, um, we can participate in the public sphere and get involved in politics and, and um, seek to make change, to bring you know change to the table in the form of legislation. Um, so it, I, I don't think Christians should stay away from politics at all. I would invite Christians to, to jump in and engage in the public sphere. Um, but my one reservation would be, but don't give your give yourself over to a political party yeah. um, because neither one 
um, really represents the totality of scripture or represents our God. They are absolutely human and <laughs> fallen in nature. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? Should Christians yeah, I, be no, involved I, in politics? I, I mean, goodness. I think I, I said on in the sermon that yes, you vote. This should affect. I, I said at the intro of my sermon, this isn't a political issue. And then as one of my application parts uh, for our church, I said you should be voting around this issue. So I think it's a both and. Like, yeah, it's it, it is not a political issue. I think it's a. I think it is a supernatural issue. I think it's a moral mm. issue. I think it's ethical. I think that the enemy is at. Heavy, has a heavy hand uh, working in this issue. I don't think you get f- um, a million abortions a year without mm. some sort of seared conscience that has been yeah. laid on our on, on our world. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't engage with this politically. Yeah, and, and so I said, good. I said this is really really tricky because we live in the United States of America. It's a democratic republic, and we have a basically two party system that means. Uh, that you're going to have to make really difficult value-based decisions when it comes to your vote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's just, and we need to be treating, treating each other with a ton of grace there. Right. Oh, I gosh, mean, you probably yeah. said that, but um, yeah. just recognizing like, Hey, you may vote this way and I may vote that way, but trusting that the spirit in you has led you to that vote. And I can, um, I can trust him with your life and your vote and with this country and not condemn you or put you in the corner or end my friendship with you. Yeah. I'm just giving each other a ton of grace. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think there's a level at which people in our, in, in my church and probably in your church who would just say, just tell me what to do. Yeah. And, and this is one of those, <laughs> this is one of those situations where I, it's just like when, when people ask me that around giving and generosity, just tell me what, just tell me what I should give. That's, that's yeah. right. And it's like, no, you need to discern like this is an opportunity for you to walk with Jesus, to, yes. to, to be in step with the spirit, to prayerfully discern God, 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 show me how I might steward this, this vote, how I might steward my involvement politically. Mm. So I told people, Hey, you know, run for local office, get involved, do what do, I mean, do the right, write Your senators, write Your representatives, like do the things that, that our democratic Republic affords us to do. But just don't look to me, the pastor, or to fathom to kind of give you the party line to vote down or Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So so I, I just I know that's an the people who ask that question, I'm sure aren't satisfied with that answer, but that's <laughs> the best answer we can give. Yeah. Yeah. Be involved. Be involved. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um Okay. Uh let me let me ask one last question. I don't know if I sent this one to you, but I think this one you can knock it out of the park. And then, and then, so let me ask this, this question. And then if there's a, a, an angle that we didn't hit, Jen, that you want to bring up, then you let us okay. know. Uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up, but here's the last question that so, somebody asked. And I, 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 for, I didn't get a chance to send it to you. Uh, one of our members asked, can you address the idea of God having a purpose for us from the womb? Um, hmm. in terms of, you know, Jeremiah one five or, um, multiple places in the Psalter, like w- with Psalm 51 or with Psalm 139, uh, can you talk to us, just pitch life to us in terms of what God purposes for us yeah. from conception? Yeah. Well, I love all the scriptures that you just touched on and, and the scriptures are really clear that God is our creator mm-hmm. and, um, in his goodness and in his sovereignty, he has knit together each and every single um, face that you see. And sometimes that boggles my mind. I remember being in Japan once years ago and just seeing 
thousands of people at one intersection Mm -hmm. and just being boggled that the Lord knit together every eyeball and every strand of hair and the breath that was in every pair of lungs at that specific intersection. But it's true. We have life because God created us and he ordained it. And I love um, something that is in Acts chapter 17, where Paul says that um, God ordained when and where we would each live. And so he has purpose in us for multiple reasons. I mean, one is to image him, you know, Genesis 1, 26, 27, we were created in the image of God. So there's something just sacred and holy about every human being. There's something about you and me and every other human on the planet, no matter their age or their ability or their income level or their giftedness or their resources, their life communicates something to the world about what God is like, about the goodness of who he is. And he ordained that they would live and he ordained the when and where they would live. And so we know that God calls us to, to glorify him, to honor him and to love one another. So each life is meant to do that in one way. Um, in Acts chapter 17, which I love, just says when and where we should do that. So yeah. you're in Littleton in 2021 for a reason. Yeah. I'm in Parker right now for a reason, but also someone is in, you know, a specific Eastern African country or Southeastern Asian country or all all the contexts that we're in, God has a purpose for us. And so um, to end those lives, to cut them short, either in the womb or at the end of life is to do violence against our God. Those lives do not belong to us. We don't have the right to end them. They belong to him. He gets the say, and he has willed that they would live. So now it does incredible violence to our maker when we end those lives. But it also is a huge disservice to us as a people. Because even for the life that in a, in a just sort of very gross, superficial terms to us, like seems like, well, that, you know, what does that life really bring to the table? Or what are they offering? You know, we, in the United States, we love to... Um, we love to really hold on to our productivity. You know, what am I producing? What am I creating? What impact am I having in the world? And we want to, we want to weigh it or measure it or assign it some sort of numeric value. And that is not God's economy. Mm-hmm. God's economy is that every life, no matter what we see, um, glorifies his name and is meant to in some way impact the community that that life was born into. Um, so it's on us as believers to be creative and to be compassionate and to do what it takes to honor each one. Um, one of the chapters in my upcoming book is on outward beauty and ability. And so I get into this idea of ability and living with disability and how we are, we are a throwaway culture. We want to do away with down syndrome, um, and other things. And, um, the Lord has a purpose for each life and each life that is even burdened by a specific disease or disability there um, and, and talk to any family who has someone um, like that in their family. And they will tell you that life has value and it, that life preaches us a sermon all day long. And so um, just an encouragement and a reminder to believers to persevere in the very good work of protecting life. Yeah, that's good. Well, and, and, and it made me think of, um, even the language around uh, pregnancy, that there are such things as unplanned pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, while it may not have been planned as in we planned this, um, there is no such thing as an unplanned pregnancy with the Lord. It's always been planned. And I, and I, I, 
I love in uh, I love that Acts 17 passage. I love that paired with um, with with Psalm 139 and 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 mm-hmm. the days that God formed for us. That He doesn't form us for the days. He forms the days for us. Like he, he thought of us and he knit us together and he pre-planned this whole package and every little nook and cranny and what we would happen. And then he creates days yeah. for us. And which means we were the first thought the, mm-hmm. that unplanned pregnancy, that baby, that was the first thought. And then these days were created. Um, yeah. And it might be a I little too that. linear, but man, I just think that's a great ref- reflection for, for my heart. Yeah. Well, the reality that Jesus came down and put on flesh and walked as a human, and then his dead body rose again to life, the resurrected body, and that we are going to rise again in the new heaven and in the new earth and have resurrected bodies. The body is precious to the Lord. The body has value. And we just think, oh, do this. It won't hurt you or do that. It won't, you know, it doesn't really hurt you. Mm -hmm. No, we are embodied souls. Our hearts, our souls, our bodies are, are all connected and they are all precious to the Lord and worthy of protection at all costs. Thanks for listening in, friends. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to a lot of helpful resources, including the sermon that Chris originally preached on this topic. As always, thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.